I'm going to warn you that as we go through this series, that we're going to see things and, and the Word of God is going to bring up things and every one of us in this room at some point in time is, is going to be convicted. It's going to nail all of us at one point or another. And I want you to know, I'm not picking on anybody. You know, I have people that come up to me at the door and they go, you know, I, I just know you were just talking to me today. I felt like you were talking to me. <clears throat> I want you to know if, if I'm hitting something in your life, if I have something to say to you, I'll, I'll call you up and get together for a cup of coffee with you, okay? Uh, I don't use this pulpit to say things personally to people. But as broad as our lives are, when we start talking about the, un the holiness of God and, and the unholiness of our lives and what that looks like, you know, we're all going to get hit at one point or another. And that's not necessarily bad. That's not bad. God is, and by the way, if, if you start feeling sorry for yourself, I'm preaching this stuff. The Bible says God, as a teacher, will hold me in much higher accountability. Uh, if you want to feel sorry for somebody, feel sorry for me. i got to try and live all this stuff out that I'm talking about, okay? So this is something that's going to, that's going to get all of us, and I, I think we need to invite, like David did when he said, God, would you search me? and know me, and try my heart, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And so we could come at this with, with that openness to God, say, God, there's something in my life that, that I need to see, then show me. I think this could be a profound experience for you. This morning, I want to I share three reasons why I think we've lost this sense of just the holiness of God. Here's the first one. Our view of sin is more self-centered than God-centered. Our view of sin, when it happens to us in our lives, is more self-centered than it is God-centered. So what do, I, what do I mean by that? Just a couple of passages. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Listen to these words. Therefore, words, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Be holy, because I am holy. So what's the reason there for being holy? Is, is the reason there for being holy is be holy so that you won't experience pain in your life. Be holy so that life will go well for you. Be holy so that you'll be successful. Be holy so that your family life will go well. It just says be holy because I am holy. Because I am holy. In the book of Hosea, chapter 7 and verse 14, Listen to the description of the people of God who are in apparent repentance, but they're really not in repentance for their sin. It says, They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but they wail upon their beds. So here's the picture. People sinned against God has brought great consequence and pain into their lives, and they're, they're weeping and crying about it, but the, the reason they're weeping and crying about it is not because their hearts are broken before God, but because they're simply upset that they're in pain. 
They're simply upset that now they have to live with the consequences of what they've done. There is no connection there. It's a very me-centered sort of thing. All they can think about is their own pain. It's kind of like when you, when you whisk your children out of the parking, out of the grocery store because they're misbehaving, right? You whisk them out, they put them in your car, and your kids are in the car crying. So why are they crying? Are they crying because mom's shopping trip got cut short and now she's going to have to go back a second time? No, they're crying because they didn't get their gummy bears. That's why they're crying. And so that's what the people here, you know, that they're crying because, not because they realize what they have done to God, but it is very much about themselves. And we learn this very well in our me culture. Be holy because I am holy. Because I am holy. So, you know, why does that matter that we should be holy because God is holy? Let me give you one reason, and there's probably many, but let me give you one. I'll give you one reason why you should be holy, because you are His creation. You are God's creation. He designed you. He wove you together in your mother's womb. Uh, if you've come to Christ, the Bible says you are His workmanship. So imagine that your life is something that God is creating and designing. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, we are his workmanship. Again, it's, it's like, you know, those of you who are parents, you know, you're training your children, right? You're, you're teaching them and you're training them and you want them to grow up. And so when, when you're out in public, you know, what happens when your kids are just, just terrible? I mean, why do you, what does that bother you, you know? <clears throat> Well, it bothers us because they're a reflection on us, right? I mean, they're our kids, and, and we're training them, and we're teaching them, and so th that reflects back on us, and, and your life reflects back on your Creator. My life reflects back on my Creator. And so we see here that when, when we live unholy lives, we cease to reflect the glory of God. Your life was in, people should look at our lives, my life, your life, and, and they should see something of the glory of God in that because you are made in his image. I am made in his image. And so as we are holy, as he is holy, we reflect his character, his image in us. That's one of the aspects of the fact that you are his creation, why this is important. Here's another one, and it may be hard for some of us to believe this, but the second thing is that he deeply, as his creation, he deeply loves you. God's desire is to just bless, is just to bless the socks off of you, to pour all kinds of blessing onto your life. Now, I know what it's like as a parent when you see your kids going off, going the wrong way, and now you go, you know what? This is so disappointing because now I'm going to have to discipline my kids, and that is not what I want to do. We don't want to discipline our kids. We don't want to punish our kids. We don't want to lay down consequences. We don't want to say, no, now you can't go, you can't go out today. We love to see our kids live out the lives they're supposed to so that we don't have to be constantly disciplined. We, we want to bless them. 
We want to reward them, and so it is with God and with you. God desires to bless your life, but when we're living in unholiness, he has no option but to deal with us. Our view of sin is often more self-centered. How does this affect me than it is God-centered? So that's one of the reasons why I, one of the first reasons why I think that this is an issue. Here's another one. I think that we do not clearly understand uh, what it means to live by faith. What it means to live by faith. James 2.26. I'd like you to just... uh, Follow along with me as I read this. James 2.26. It says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James 2. Also, in the book of Philippians, we read these words in chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence, how much more... In my absence, continue to work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we're called to be working out. There is an action to this faith. There is is a work to this faith. And sometimes when we talk about living by faith, we forget that. Farmers live by faith. If you're a farmer, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever farmed. Because... When you farm, there's a lot of things that that you take by faith. For example, the first thing you decide every spring is what should I plant? I mean, should I plant soybeans? Should I plant corn? Should we do wheat? Should we do barley? Should we do sunflowers? What's going to grow? We don't know what it's going to be like. So you have to, by faith, you have to make that decision. There There are things you don't know. You don't know if the rains will come. You can't control that. You can't control the sunlight. You have nothing to do with a seed germinating. That's something that God designed in that seed. You have no control over that. You don't know if the weather's going to be warm enough. You don't know if the winds are going to come out when the the wheat gets uh, real white, uh, ripe, and, and lay down the fields. There's so many things that are not within your control. So many things that are up to God. But there's some stuff you have to do. If you don't plow the field, trust me, the corn's not going to grow. If you don't plant the seed, if you don't cultivate it, if you don't, you know, put the weed killer on it, I I can tell you ahead of time what's going to happen. And so farming is a joint venture between the farmer and God. And there are things that only God can do, but there are things that only the farmer can do, and both of them have to be in play here. So it is with holiness. Listen to some of the words that Paul uses to describe his part in this process. Run, strive, press on, endure, persevere, wrestle, discipline. Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave. Those are not sit on your hands words. Those are active, very graphic words. So often in the church, you know, we have things that God has shown us that are perhaps unholy in our lives and we're just kind of waiting for God to do something about it. Let me ask you a set of questions. Number one, is it God's will 
that you live a holy life? Yes or no? Just think about that in your mind. Is it God's will that you live a holy life? Would it ever be his will that you not live in holiness? God said, if you ask anything according to my will, I will do it. Anything you ask according to my will, I will do it. Is there any reason why if you ask God to help you live or move into a more holy life in some area, is there any reason why he wouldn't do his part to make that happen? If that's his will, if you asked him, based on his word, is there any reason why he wouldn't answer that prayer? And so the final summation is, so if it isn't happening, then what's the problem? The problem's not on God's end. The problem's on my end. So what is it that God's calling me to do that I'm not doing? We cannot overcome evil on our own. I realize there are things that take time. However, God does not bring about victory without our participation. And so the second area is that we need to understand that faith also involves the works. <clears throat> Here's the third thing I mentioned this morning. The third thing is that we live in a culture that has minimized sin. And whenever you minimize sin, you minimize holiness. You know, we have those sins that we know are big, and then we have those sins that we minimize, and we tell ourselves, well, you know, it's really not right, but as long as, as, long as I'm not in too much pain, as long as they're not bringing me, again, it's about me, as long as, you know, it doesn't really matter that I'm sinning against God, as long as it's going okay, then I'll just continue in this unholy pattern. Last week, or the week before, uh, <clears throat> the boys took me out white fishing up north. Actually, they're men, but <clears throat> um, you gotta be a man to be ice fishing and that kind of stuff. And uh, we went up, and it, it, was, it, was, it was really fun. We were, we were doing really well, and I caught a like 26 to 28 inch lake trout through the ice. And I brought that baby up, and I was looking at that fish, and I could see it on a, kid you not, I could see it on a platter <laughs> with, with a candlelight dinner, and my wife going, honey, this is just amazing that you caught this fish. <laughs> and my fishing partner <clears throat> interrupts my thought. I hate to tell you this, pastor. He kept saying, pastor. <clears throat> You can't, uh, you can't keep trout in this lake. But it's up to you, okay? It's, I'm not telling you what to do, pastor. I'm not telling you what to do. But, you know, and then he proceeded to give me about 10 reasons why that was the most stupid law, stupidest law they could ever make that you can't keep one of these fish on this lake. <clears throat> not even one. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about this and... What do you think I did? I threw it back. Why do you think I did that? Well, my first reason was I didn't want to get caught. <laughs> but you know what? The, the real reason, I thought, you know what? 
This, this, is how our, this is how our deceptive little hearts work. I thought, you know what? If, I, if we keep this fish, you know what? God's probably going to not, he's probably going to turn off the faucet on these other fish we're catching, and we're not going to catch any more fish, so I think I better let it go if I want to keep catching fish. <laughs> so that's as far as I got in my, I have a ways to go in my motivations here for holiness, but it's those little things in our lives. It's been very easy to minimize that and say, you know what, that's a stupid law. Uh, I'm going to keep it. And I, I was very close to doing that. Natalie Grant walked out on the Grammys. You probably heard that. I loved her response. Uh, she tweeted back, and the Grammys are, <coughs> I think it's probably the most perverse uh, this year that it's ever been. Um, very, very satanic in some ways and perverse. And she, after a while, just walked out. And she just said on her Twitter, they asked her what she thought about this. She said, you know, I think, I think those thoughts are best just left kept to myself. But I will say this. I will say this. She said, I am so thankful that I get to sing about Jesus. And she said, I have never been, I have never been more sure of the path that I have chosen. And so we see our, our culture continuing to move the boundary markers and continuing to call what is evil good, and it's just part of our day. We minimize sin, and in so doing, we minimize the holiness of God. One of, our, one of the trickiest things we're going to do here in this series is to keep a balance in this, this whole thing, and there's going to be there's going to be two ditches that we're going to want to fall in, and I'm going to work really hard to keep us out of either ditch. Okay, the first ditch is legalism, because we're going to start to see what holiness looks like, and we're going to set up like you know, like you do New Year's resolutions at the beginning of the year, and you're going to establish these rules in our lives. So this is what I need to do to live a holy life, and the Bible makes it very clear that you and I are very miserable failures at keeping rules. We are. We, we can't keep the law. The law just condemns us. As soon as we set it up, we fail. And so I want to keep us out of the ditch of legalism. On the other hand, you know, the, the other ditch is what we call licentiousness, and that's, that comes from the word giving license to. So it's like we're just like giving license to sin. Like, you know what, I'm living under grace, and, and so it really doesn't matter. And, and Paul, when he hears that, Paul addresses that, that ditch when he says, guys, this is, this is what God came to free you from. He came to free you from sin. Why would you want to be enslaved in it? Why would you not want to pursue holiness? And so if, if we fall in that ditch, then the church becomes no different than the culture, which is what we're approaching, and we become enslaved to the very sin that Christ came to free us from. Well, let me conclude. Malachi 3.6, you can see it. <clears throat> the Lord says, I do not change. So your descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. And we're going to pursue the holiness of God. And I promise you, uh, because God promised us that as holy as he is, 
that he would not destroy us as his people. And so we have that assurance that, that even if it's okay for us to open up and to acknowledge our unholiness before God, he's not going to destroy us. He already sees it anyway. And so let's just come openly before him. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I will promise you this. If you open yourself up to what God is wanting to do and to becoming more holy and to seeing him in his holiness, I will tell you up front that what will happen is you will not perceive yourself three months from now as being more holy. You will perceive yourself as being much less holy. Because you can't approach the holiness of God and, and not see your own unholiness. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, that is a sign, I think. I think sometimes people think when you, uh, what it means to mature in Christ is to become perfect. To mature in Christ is really, for me, you talk about people who walked with the Lord a lot of years, they're some of the most ho uh, humble people you will meet. Because they just realize, as they see God more clearly, things that they didn't even see in their life before. And so that is going to happen. And here's how it works. The greater awareness of our unholiness okay, will drive us to a greater depth of God's grace in our life. That has to happen. If you understand your unholiness and you don't grasp a deeper sense of God's grace, then you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be one guilty person. And so we have to understand that God's grace is deeper than our greatest unholiness. Did you hear that? God's grace is more sufficient than your deepest sin and your deepest unholiness. And so a deeper experience of God's grace will empower us, because that's what empowers us to live out a holier life. That's how it works. A deeper understanding of our sinfulness before God results in a greater overflow of God's grace, and that grace is what will then empower us to live out the holy life, because it's His work in us. I'm going to give you the punchline here on the first message of this series. We'll keep coming back to it in different ways. But here's what it is. Holiness must flow internally from a transformed heart. Holiness must flow internally from a transformed heart. You cannot deal with this holiness issue externally. That's what the Pharisees did. You know what Jesus had to say about them? They were they were they were they had an ugly spirituality. You cannot deal with this externally. You cannot say, "Give me the rules and I'll I'll try and keep them." Something has to happen internally. Holiness flows. Holiness must flow from a transformed heart. That's internal. And a transformed heart will flow from our union with Christ. How are you going to live a holier life in 2014? You're going to get to know Jesus better. And you're going to get to understand 
that the grace of Jesus is so much deeper than you ever thought it was. And his commitment to you is so much, you're going to grow in this relationship and union with Christ, and it's out of that that you will live a holier life. It's that that you'll go beyond superficial holiness, and, and you'll really understand what it means to live a holy life. So, so that's where we're going in this year. And uh, I'm excited. I want to invite you to be excited with me. And uh, we're just going to pick up next week where we left off here and, and keep working through this. Father, I thank you today for this invitation to us to be holy because you are holy. We don't even know in a lot of ways what that means or perhaps even looks like, but we believe as we walk through this series that you're going to teach us and you're going to show us and you're going to most importantly transform us so we can do this. Because there are many people here that have tried this for a long time and have failed and been discouraged and frustrated and Lord we, we need to we need your power and we need your grace and we need your spirit to be able to enter into a new level of holiness and a new level of union with you Lord as we approach the communion table in just a few moments here we are, we are reminded of what brought us to you. We're reminded of this grace that you have offered and are offering to each one of us today. And so, uh, Father, bring us back now. Bring us back to that place where we are empowered to live holy lives, and that's to the cross and to your work and to your grace and mercy in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.